Hi friends, fellow evolvers and curious people everywhere. Welcome to this episode of Being with Sally Wilson. I'm Sally Wilson and it's a huge pleasure for me today to have as my guest, Brent McKean. Welcome, Brent. Thanks very much and thanks very much for letting me come on your podcast. I'm very excited. So Brent and I, we met recently during a camel camel trek. Uh, in the Simpson Desert. So Brent is the editor of Great Walks magazine, uh, which is Australia's only dedicated bushwalking magazine. And he's completed a lot of walks, both in Australia and overseas. As you can hear, he's got a little bit of a, he's got a little bit of an accent. (laughs) So (laughs) he's a Kiwi originally. So obviously, as I imagine, Brent, you've done a lot of walks in New Zealand as well, have you? I certainly have. Uh, Growing up in New Zealand, there's such a big outdoors culture. Um, I discovered sort of outdoors, uh, my love for the outdoors as a teenager. Um, most high schools in New Zealand have a what they call a tramping club. I joined the tramping club probably at 13 and 14 and sort of put away the rugby ball and discovered that I really enjoyed the outdoors. Yeah, right. And was it something that your family was interested in as well? It was really that sort of pivotal, you know, tramping what do you call it? Tramping group. Tramping, tramping group. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, my family actually, none of them are really into the outdoors. Um, we're four kids and we're all very have different tastes and different pastimes. Um, I just discovered the outdoors as a, just a great place to be either on my own or with a group of like-minded friends. My school had tramping clubs, caving clubs, diving clubs. It was a very outdoorsy culture. Mm. Um, and I just really enjoyed that aspect of it. Uh, often there were teachers that would take me hiking, so I'd get to know my teachers. Yeah, I joined the Venturers, which is like a senior scouts. Um, and I learned a lot about reading maps and using compasses and taking canoes and kayaks and jumping out of planes and all sorts of wonderful, exciting, adventurous things that really drove my spirit as a teenager. Oh, fantastic. And I love how you said they drove your spirit. I mean, clearly that's something, that's the main reason you do it, right? It's somehow it drives your spirit being in the outdoors and, and walking. Absolutely. And it's even just a simple walk in the park. I, took my dog for a walk today and it was just beautiful nice way to start the day with some fresh air and coastal views I mean I do prefer the, the pure wilderness and I certainly like uh, the challenge of a pack walk or just seeing how other people who have not explored bushwalking really enjoyed them and, and wonder why it took them that long to get into it so p- part of it is really for me just enjoying the the, the the peace and the wilderness and having time to be in my head and also just seeing how people interact with the environment yeah so I just, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated with the driving your spirit. Um, so you sort of mentioned the peace, interacting with the environment. Can you just talk a little bit more about how you experience being in the wilderness and walking or walking, just walking, as you said, around the, the park, or whatever, as driving your spirit? What does that, what does that feel like? How do you feel differently after walking? How do you feel if you don't walk? Well, I certainly like to walk as much as I can. And I've got young kids, so I've really been encouraging them to go out, get into the outdoors. We go to the Blue Mountains a lot as a family. And I really enjoy seeing the kids um, playing games in the wilderness when they're going for walks. You know, it doesn't have to be a slog. They don't have to be miserable. I let them interact with the environment, play games around the trees. Uh, We'll stop and we'll take sketches of trees. And and so there'll be sort of a creative part part of it with my kids and I'm just really trying to encourage them that because I just don't see enough kids in the wilderness I did a trip to Japan about three years ago and I went hiking up this beautiful volcano 
and it was quite a quite a physical slog and there were a bunch of about five-year-old kids there must have been about 30 of them from the local school and they were and there was a teacher down the bottom and the teacher was following the kids but the kids had all this freedom to run up and crawl over the rocks they all had these beautiful white gloves on and little caps and they all seemed really happy and they were going on this wonderful adventure and i love that sense that they were given a chance to be, be in an adventure, but also be a little bit on their own as well. Um, and I think over here, that probably wouldn't happen. There's probably too many work safety rules and things to uh, to consider. And I, what I liked about that country is that the kids get a lot of freedom. Their sort of perimeter of freedom is very wide, where our ones in a city is pretty small. So my kids might only have, you know, a, a kilometer of freedom from the center of our house where over there it's much much greater as it was when i was growing up as a kid so it feels like this sort of perimeter of freedom is slowly shrunk and if i can take my kids into the outdoors and give them a bigger perimeter of freedom hopefully mm. it'll give them um you know teach them to be a little bit uh, a little bit sort of brave i guess is a good word yeah and also the aspect that you mentioned of adventure there's nothing like a sense of adventure to to make you feel alive, is there? Well, exactly. And I, an adventure can be subjective, but, you know, you could go on a, well, example, our, our desert trek with the camels. And that was a real adventure. I mean, that was just fantastic. Seeing how the cameliers interact with camels, understanding the history of how camels came into our country for the Burke and Wills trek and being a part of this sort of culture of working with uh, pack animals in the desert was was a really wonderful experience. I mean, we were only there for four days, so it was pretty short. But in that time, I, I could really see how this timeless interaction took place. So for me, it was a, a great experience and a wonderful learning curve scene and also being involved handling the camels, packing them, unpacking them. You know, I love I love to get as hands on as I can with these sort of trips because it, it reflects well on my story writing. So I, I really enjoy that that adventure. Yeah. It was interesting after I came back from that adventure because, you know, people would ask me what it was like. And, and when I was really honest about it, a lot of it was really uncomfortable. But even in the discomfort, I just loved it. You know, uh, you know, there were lots of flies. It was really hot some of the days we were walking. But it, it, didn't matter like it was it was such a sense of freedom and also um, for me being in the red center itself is really special and the rhythm that you find um i love how you say the primitive freedom it's it, it it's almost like a rhythm as well is that something that you know stands out to you as well in the walks that you do is kind of the the rhythms of nature Absolutely. And that, that is a good example of getting into the rhythm of the day. We wake up when the sun comes up and we go to bed when the sun goes down. I interviewed uh, two Australians maybe a decade ago, and they were the first people and probably the only people that I know of to walk the entire Great Dividing Range. So the Great Dividing Range starts at the bottom of Victoria, finishes up in the Cape York. Took them a year and they huh. did it just the two of them on their own with tents and and they stored food along the walk it took them probably six months to plan the trip to do all the food drops and then walk for 12 months at the east coast of australia and i asked them why they did it this is about 30 years ago there was no internet there was no fame nobody was following they didn't get any sponsors they didn't get any money 
They just said they wanted to do it. They wanted to know what it was like. And what they loved, they talked about most was being in the rhythm of the day, yeah. waking up when the sun went up, packing their gear, and then seeing life take place all around them, the wildlife, the, the trees. They went through hurricanes and they went through rain and storms. I mean, a year is a, not a long time, and that's an extreme example, but it is about getting back to nature and that rhythm of the day. And I really enjoy that on any of my walks. Yeah. Very quickly, I just get into that rhythm. Yeah. And yeah, I can 100% relate to that, Brent. And one of the things that one of the leaders on the Camel Trek said, Max said to me, you know, when when he's on one of those longer treks, it might be, you know, three weeks, three and a half weeks, something like that through the desert, he said about the third day, often he'd look around at people and he could see from the look on their faces, they're thinking, why the hell am I doing this? <laughs> and then he said, then they'll get to a certain point in the walk where he can sort of see this well the the word he used was transformation he sees a transformation in them so in your experience is that how does that transformation feel for you personally and how have you seen that in other people well i think it's it's really important to get out of your comfort zone and a bushwalk is a way to do it with some safety and some control. And the more you walk and the more experience and the more confidence you have, the further you can go and, and do it different ways. So I, I think that comfort zone factor is really, really important to me. Uh, I, I think I like seeing people, um, you know, tra trans transform in their, in their mental state as they're going along. So the more days you have it, the more you'll sort of see that change, as Max was talking about. I did a walk in Nepal maybe 20 years ago. It was probably four weeks, a four-week walk through the Himalayas. And I do remember the first couple of days looking at my map and thinking, this is going to be a long way. It's very high altitude. I wonder how I'm going to go. And within about a week, I've just fell into this beautiful routine of waking up, having my chai tea, staying in a beautiful um, a hut or some sort of um, tea house, and then disappearing into this beautiful wilderness the track was laid out it was marked so i didn't have any safety concerns i could just enjoy it for what it was and each day the altitude got higher the terrain changed and there was always something to see and learn as as i went along and then i would meet people and i could see that see the sort of same trans, trans transformation was happening with them and by the end of the walk it was you, you'd look back with such pride and and say, oh, my God, I I've just walked over five and a half thousand meter peak. I've seen some of the most amazing mountain scenery in the world. And I did it on foot. And I think that's what it is. It's that back to basics approach to travel. And you can just this is before the Internet. But even now, you don't need phones. You don't need technology to to enjoy it. And, and that's what I'm sort of trying to persuade my kids like we don't need to take our phones all of the adventures are in front of us around the mm. trees and in the wilderness and I and the feedback I get from readers is the same thing I somebody might say I've just done my first bushwalk I don't know why I left it so long uh, and they might ask for you know some suggestions on walks or walking tour companies or gear and things like that and, and I really love that so with my magazine there's a lot of goodwill out there I uh, I keep an index of every story from every every issue and um and it's on a long list and anybody can have it for free and if they've been collecting the magazines they can go back and and see the stories and we update the website and facebook page and instagram 
every week just to tell people about the latest walk or here's a YouTube walk on, on a particular place or a review on a pair of boots and just trying to create that community. And then they just start talking amongst themselves without sort of me having to participate. And then I feel like that's part of my job done. Yeah, yeah. And and you make a really good point. You know, um, when people are starting, you know, it can it can seem like quite a scary thing to do going out in the wilderness if you haven't done that before, you know. Um, and so a lot of people, I imagine, don't do it simply because firstly, they don't, they haven't experienced the benefits, so they don't know why they would do it. And secondly, they probably lack some confidence. Um, and so I love that your magazine, it covers, it gives people the information they need. If they need an easier kind of first walk um, that's properly signposted, they can find that, right? And, then, and you cover everything from, sort of from that to full-on wilderness. What's the, what's the, the most, um, what's the word, I suppose, the, 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 the most remote or, you know, well, you the extreme most, well, I, I suppose I wasn't going to say, yeah, the most extreme kind well, of. Well, um, look, we're, we're, in, we're trying to be inclusive. So if you've only just started walking, you'll get, you can get something from us. If you're, if you've been walking all your life, you can get something from us. Mm. The most extreme walks we would do, and we're not telling you to, or showing you how to walk up Mount Everest. We wouldn't do anything like that, but Everest Base Camp, um, Kokoda track they're pretty extreme parts mm. uh, you can you can walk to Everest Base Camp on your own um, there's plenty of maps and I, I haven't done that one but I've certainly walked in Nepal on my own most people would go with a tour operator and and that's physically quite demanding because of the geography and the altitude with the Kokoda obviously it's the it's also the geography and the, and the heat and those sort of conditions there are lots of big multi-day walks in Australia. Some of them are over a thousand kilometers long mm. and you can do those on your own. You, and there are tour operators that will take you on bits of them. So we just try and show you different ways that you can discover Australia, particularly on foot and do it, you know, with safety, but also sort of out of your comfort zone if that's what you want. So we do day walks and we do right up to the big multi-dayers and we show you how to do it guided or unguided. Uh, and, and the gear and, and the sort of uh, knowledge you need, we, we do our best to show you those. We wouldn't tell you to take a map from our magazine and go walking. That would be silly. But we'd say, here's a web link and here's all the information you need if you want to do the walk with all the GPS coordinates and the map and all that type of thing. So we refer to all the national parks websites. Each state has a, a great website on the national parks. So that's, a, that's an easy reference we encourage people mm -hmm. to go on to. And they talk about bush safety as well as where yeah. to go. Okay, so let's just say I'm a I'm a complete beginner, and I'm like, oh, I like the sound of this. I want some more peace. I wanna I wanna experience this. So they could go on the Facebook in the Facebook group, yeah, and say, look, I'm a beginner. Um, what would people recommend for complete beginners, right? Absolutely. And then they'd get recommendations from just just your readership. As absolutely, well. absolutely. Yeah. We have there's a good dialogue between our readers with that with those sort of things. Mm. So you know, if you were if you were just starting out and you, you might want to find out where your nearest national park is, then you could go onto the national parks website and they will give you a list of all the walks, the, the half day walks, the bigger walks, and they'll give you lots of information. There are lots of bushwalking groups in Australia, but it's sort of aging. The, the younger people aren't joining clubs; they're probably using WhatsApp or different apps to meet up and do the walks themselves so we do encourage people if you've never done it before to try a guided walk just mm -hmm. so that you know 
what you're doing and where you are. And, and you could go back and do the same walk half a dozen times and it'll be different each time. You know, you could, if it's a loop walk, you know, you could walk the other way the next time. So I have, I've done many walks um, multiple times and each time have enjoyed it for a different reason. Uh, I train a team for something called the Oxfam Trail Walker every year. Oxfam is this global charity organization that looks after people in third world countries and Trail Walker is their global fundraiser. There are trail walkers all over the world. There's one in Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, and probably Hobart. A trail walker is a group of four people. They have 48 hours to walk 100 kilometers through bushland. So it's a pretty, pretty trying uh, uh, event to raise money. But I get to train people on the, on the beautiful national parks in Sydney. And I've done these walks many times, and I still love them. I've probably done maybe a couple of those walks probably 30 times training different teams. And yet when I look out over the Hawkesbury River or see the uh, beautiful wilderness just off the highway there, I just think to myself, we're very blessed in this country. And I get to show people a part of their city that they didn't even know existed or wouldn't have had the confidence to go to. Yeah, that's brilliant. I think um, that's a really important point to make too, is that, you know, for people who live in urban environments, who sort of think, oh, I'm just, I'm too far away from the wilderness. You know what? Australia has these national parks within reach of anyone, any Absolutely. city, right? Yeah. And for me, you know, um, I love, I love the Yuyangs. That's one of my kind of haunts. It's, it, you know, they're relatively short walks really but like you said brent i love doing them over and over and over it looks different every time um also the great ocean walk parts of that the surf coast trail um the brisbane ranges and they're all in easy reach of of where i live near geelong um and and it's the same for really any city right absolutely national parks have done a great job. Uh, great Ocean Walk is a great example. I, I did that a few years ago. And I, and I love that walk because you get a variety of terrain, get a variety of views, you get those fantastic uh, dramatic views of the shipwreck coast and, and hearing all the stories uh, of people who have you know, shipwrecked there and, and people have sort of made a living over there hundreds of years ago. That's all part of that, the experience of a walk like that. You know, and you also, as you walk towards the 12 apostles, mm. you see it as a speck and every day it gets closer and closer. And then you, you're there. And I, I think it's just, it's a fantastic experience. And Australia's national parks, the people at national parks are doing a really good job making these tracks safe uh, with good maps, uh, lots of markers. So you, 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 you're not going to get lost in a walk like that. Yeah. And also you'll, you'll find there'll be plenty of times when you're on your own and just this beautiful, pure wilderness. And yet there's a, you know, one of the most popular drives is about a kilometre above you on the, on the Great Ocean Road. Yeah. Yeah. That was bizarre to me because when I was, when I was doing it with my husband, we actually ran it over, um, you know, several days, the Great Ocean Walk. And, and you feel so remote sometimes, and yet you are, you're so close to that really busy road. That was, it really surprised me actually. Yeah, but well, the story with the when I did the Great Ocean Walk, I did some research, and there, there was a, a, a shipwreck about 150 years ago, and about six people survived the shipwreck, and they were lost in this thick wilderness, and they basically had to bush bash their way to the nearest town, and it, it, they end up almost pretty much doing the Great Ocean Walk themselves yeah. before it even existed, and so I found the story and I incorporated their sort of narrative in, into my story. And I and when I do my walks and I write about them, I really love 
finding the, the the story within the story and every and every, all our great walks and all our national parks have great stories of bush rangers and explorers and things like that and all the aboriginal culture that that sort of gets threaded through this and i try and find those stories to, to incorporate with my story as well so mm. i think you know if you've got an open mind and you, you're happy to sort of do a bit of research when you do these walks you realize there's a lot more going on there than just a you know a beautiful trail in front of you yeah and also brent you've You've taken your kids into the bush, bushwalking, um, presumably since they were babies, right? I have, yes, that's right. And uh, now I'm taking my daughter. She's 11 now. So we go on overnight bushwalks. I get her to carry her own little pack. I'll have the tent and most of the biggest stuff. But we started doing that and she's really enjoying that. She's a very, she's a very physical kid. She plays lots of sports and things. So she really enjoys it. My son, he he, uh, he does artwork. He's not so physical. So I'm interested to see how, how he'll go. But what I want to do when they each turn 10 is take them on a, a slightly bigger walk and get them out there and, and just to see how they go amongst all that. I think um, it'll just give them a better perspective of what's out there in the world. And so, you know, we live in a big, busy city, but we've got Royal National Park, Karingai Chase National Park, all within an hour's drive of where we live. And I just yeah. really want them to sort of appreciate what's around there. Yeah. And I, I went for um, a walk on Mother's Day with my mum and um, my sister-in-law and, and my niece, who's nine. And, um, you know, you, you can you can find different ways for kids to relate to it. You know, some kids are the really, really physical and they just love the physicality of being outdoors and running and jumping and climbing and all that stuff. And then, you know, for kids who have that more creative sort of bent there are so many pictures in the rocks and the bush and the you know so many visual images that can just spark their imagination and so you know for for people who let's just say for parents who haven't done much of this with their kids and they're sort of thinking ah yeah this is this could be really really good um you know some kids are very resistant to it especially if they haven't done it before uh as a parent, Brent, how would you negotiate the resistance to doing it? Uh, kids need rewards. So give them, you know, maybe some uh, some sweets at the end of a portion of the trek. Make it an adventure. Make it fun. And so they don't think they're just trudging through the bush for no reason. And that's what I find with my kids. So they've got their, their little adventure bags and their hats and, the, and they'll have artwork and then we'll stop and we'll take some pictures of, draw some pictures of leaves and just make a game of it, make an adventure of it. So it's not a chore and they sort of forget about why they're there and they're just there enjoying it all. Um, we make little flags so they can sort of, if they walk ahead, they can, we can see them. And um, and they, they just see themselves as little adventurers. And we do the Blue Mountains a lot. And that and that's great because the tracks are really clear. Uh, you, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get lost in it, you know, you're and if they if they really don't enjoy it and they get upset, you've you've got to have sort of an exit point. So there are, there are a few things to really think about when you are going to take the kids. It might just be a nature walk, which can be quite pedestrian to you, but to a kid, it's actually quite wonderful and exciting. So just sort of try them out um, in an easy walk and see how they go. Now, nowadays, we can take them on fairly, you know, fairly steep walks where there's, you know, they can look down the side of a cliff and, you know, there's a little bit of adventure and a little bit of, um, um, what can I say, not not fair, but, you know, they they, they like... They, they really think that it's, it's they're really out, out in the middle of it all. So we do that nowadays and, and they and then they come back and they're full of energy and stories 
and they've taken pictures and I've taken photographs of them and we've played hide and seek and they've just forgotten why we were there and it's and just enjoyed it. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about how we adults, we love finding the stories within the walks and, you know, the history and all that sort of stuff. And the kids, it's just the same. You know, what, there was one point in this, this walk that I did with um, the group I mentioned before, my mum and, you know, generations of women on our, <laughs> in our family. And, and there was one point where my niece was just starting to feel really tired. We'd already walked a fair way and it was, you know, up and down and everything. The moment we made up a story, um, you know, we made up a story about the Bunyip people and there's a particular rock in the Yu Yangs, one of the walks that I love doing in the Yu Yangs, where it, it, it's hard to imagine how the rock is shaped as it is. And you sort of walk through these two halves of rock that are quite close together. And we made this whole story about it. And she completely forgot that she was tired, that her legs were tired. We, you know, she just kept going, 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 and the story kept developing. It was so much fun. <laughs> And it's a great way to interact with them as well, you know, out of the house, out of their own environment. And like I said, treats are a great way to get them going when, when they're feeling a little bit tired and all that. And uh, it's been, it was, it's a good bonding time for us as a family as well. So we, you know, my partner and I have busy jobs and get, when we ever get away for a weekend, we just look forward to it because we know we'll, yeah. we always stay at the same place in the Blue Mountain, the Salt Miners Cottage that we know. We take our dog with us. There's some nice dog friendly walks in the reserves. You can't take dogs in national parks, but there's some nice reserves that you can take dogs to. And so we just go away as a family. I even break bake bread and get into a bit of this sort of country country uh, style about it all. Yeah. And it's just, it's just a really, really wonderful time together. Yeah. And it's interesting to me that there are there are two really strong sides of 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 you know what you get out of different sorts of bushwalks. One is the peaceful, the solitude, the um, going into oneself in whatever that looks like for you. Um, but there's also, as you mentioned, Brent, the extraordinary bonding that happens during this kind of shared experience, and it happens. In my experience, these these sorts of um, activities, for want of a better word, activities with other people um, in nature, um, the, through these bonding tends to happen, I think, quite quickly and more deeply um, than in other situations. That's, I mean, that's just my experience. Is that your experience as well? Absolutely. Well, I, I might go on a walking tour for my magazine and I... I'm a very inquisitive person, so I, I'll talk to everybody. There'll be many hours of where you, there's just nice conversation between you, getting to know each other, and not just, you know, where you're from, what do you do, but after a while, the conversations mature into, into more meaningful things. And many times I've met some lovely people and the conversations have just sort of gone beyond that, the sort of su the superficial. So for me, I think that's that's a really good time. There's a, uh, there's, a, there's a word in Japan, I don't know what it means, but the translation is forest bathing. And, and, they, and basically it's encouraging people to get out of their big cities and go into the forest and bathe and not physically bathe, but just sort yeah. of bathe in the nature and, and the fresh air and the wilderness and, and come out as if they were cleansed from a hot, like from being in a hot bath. And, and it's a culture in Japan where people do a lot of that. There is a lot of wilderness and escapism from big cities. They can, they can really see the benefits of it. And it's a cultural thing that's probably been going for hundreds of years. We've got hundreds of beautiful walks um, and, and they encourage this culture of forest bathing. And I think that's, that's something that we should do more of ourselves. 
and schools with kids as well, getting the kids out into the into the wilderness so they they know there's a lot more out there and it's not just a classroom with four walls and a blackboard. That's not the only way you learn. That's not the only way you experience and grow. The, the nature and the wilderness, as I had when I was a kid, I think is really important for our younger people. Yeah, absolutely. And and just backtracking a bit, Brent, um, I mean, we know now that, you know, you grew up, um, you know, sort of 14, 15, you had that experience of the outdoors and you just fell in love with it. Um, can you just tell us a bit more of the backstory of the magazine itself? Yep, sure. So I've been a journalist for about 22 years and I've worked in magazines here and overseas. I used to live in a country called Oman, which is in the, in, in the Arabian Gulf, and I worked in magazines there for a couple of years. I eventually came back to Sydney and I worked for a four-wheel drive magazine for a couple of years. Then a company called Yaffa Media was looking for an editor to launch a new magazine called Great Walks. They saw a section in the outdoors market that wasn't uh, that there weren't any magazines in, which was a sort of dedicated bushwalking, hiking magazine for people who want to do guided walks as well as people who want to do day walks and things like that. So I put my hand up and I got the job. I couldn't believe it when I got the job <laughs> because I think one of the reasons they asked me to come in for the interview is I, I, I said I was a bushwalker in my, on my resume. So that sort of rang a few bells for them. And after a couple of interviews, I got the job. And then my first day on the job was sitting down with an ad rep uh, with an empty desk and a piece of paper and a phone and, and really just started from there. We put out seven issues a year and I'm approaching issue 100 in about three issues time and I've done every single one. So it's about 14 years of just creating this community of like-minded people who just want to get out and explore the wilderness, but also producing a magazine that advertisers want to invest in. So we are a commercial title. So I've got sort of two imperatives, two equal imperatives I have to consider, which is encouraging readers to buy the magazine and encouraging advertisers to spend money with it. So there's a there's a fine balance there. I think we generally get it right. And I think the mix now is probably the best mix of the magazine since it started. So I'm, I'm very proud of it. I'm very happy with the feedback we get from both advertisers and readers. Yeah, well, congratulations, a hundred, a hundred, um, you know, that's, that, that's a, that's a, a great milestone. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the hundredth issue, actually. I, mm. I never thought I'd be doing it for this long. I really didn't think I'd do a job for this long, but I just, it's like anybody who has a job that you're passionate about, you don't feel like you're going to work. And, yeah. and I'm lucky because my job get, lets me travel a few times a year. Hence, I got to meet you in the desert and i and it's taken me all around Australia and to many other parts of the world. Uh, so I feel, I feel very blessed about that. Mm. And during that time, I've bought a house and had kids and done those other things. So my magazine has sort of been sort of a part of that and it's evolved with me. And my, uh, my love and appreciation for the outdoors has evolved as I've gone along as well. So I enjoy a nice hard slog with a big pack as much as I do as, as staying in, a, in the luxury huts and, the, and enjoying the creature comforts. You know, I, I can see the benefits for all the different markets out there. And, and just, just to see that is, uh, I feel very lucky. Yeah, uh, it's wonderful. And, and just for, you know, for listeners, that's, that's the thing, you know, you don't have to sort of go hardcore and, and um, you know, stay, stay in swags and tents. You can, you know, there are so many different ways of doing this. Absolutely. Um, really really a way that can that can cater to to almost anybody really um and and 
Brent, which is the issue that you think um, your article on our Simpson Desert Trek will be published in? What's... It will be in the August, September issue, which is the next issue of Great Walks. So the June, July issue just came out now. If you check our website at greatwalks.com.au, you can get all the information about the issues. So that'll be the next one. Uh, I have started working on it and I've emailed a few of the people there about some sort of questions about it as well. Because with, with that one, I just love the story of the, the camels and the history of the camels in Australia and how Australian desert expeditions are really carrying on with that culture uh, from 150 years ago. So yeah. just to see that, nothing's changed the way the camel is interact with the camels was exactly as it was 150 mm. years ago when Afghans came out here. And I find that really interesting. There are some things that don't change. And that's the same with walking. Nothing changes. It's putting one foot in front of the other. You know, mm. there's nothing technical about it. It's not like going by car or bike where cars are always evolving, planes are always evolving. It's putting one foot in front of the other. And you can do it however you want, carry as much as you want. But really, you, you're going to get somewhere and you're going to experience something before you do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting sort of excited tingles just thinking about it. I just, I just love, I just love the adventure, the sense of adventure. And earlier you talked about, you know, this, the, the sense of uh, um, achievement um, that you get when you've done something challenging. Um, and it struck me that it's, it's interesting because it's not a sense of conquering. I think a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, so what? You climb a big peak and you have this sense of conquering it. It's not, it's not that at all. It's an internal shift that you feel through having done this thing. Would you agree with that, Brent? Absolutely. I, I've, I've got a story. One of my favourite walks I ever did, I, I backpacked through South America for a year when I was about 24, and I did the Inca Trail in Peru. And... And there weren't many people on the trail at the time. There was just me and a few other people and we had our tents and we did the walk. And on the last day before you get to the Inca Trail, it's, uh, to, the, to Machu Picchu, the famous ruins, now you stay the night in this hut. And then in the morning, it's, you normally get up to go to a place called Puerta del Sol, which is where you see the sunrise over these magnificent ruins. And that particular morning, it was raining. So me and one other guy did the walk in the morning. And we got to see the sunrise over Machu Picchu. And then we discovered we were the only two people in these ruins and we had them to ourselves for probably two hours. And it was one of the most extraordinary experiences walking amongst these ruins with just my German mate and I, and the mist was slowly rising over these thousand, 2000 year old ruins and just having the place to ourselves. And there was such a sense of calm and happiness about it. I mean, I, I felt incredibly lucky Nowadays, when you do those walks, it's probably harder to get that. I mean, you'll, it'll still be amazing, but you probably won't get the ruins on your own. So I do, I do feel lucky, but I, there was just such a sense of peace and um, happiness about walking around these ancient, ancient ruins and having them to myself for a couple of hours. I, I felt really, really special about it. Yeah. I, you know, Machu Picchu and the Inca Trail, that's, that's on my bucket list. And it has been ever since I was a kid, you know, the, the sun gate and I just, it, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to have the opportunity to do that. It might be a while. <laughs> well, yeah, look, it might, it might be a while, but I, while, while we uh, can't leave our country, there's plenty of places. That's right. And, and in fact, with Great Walks, we've probably been very lucky because at least 80% of our content is Australia. So yeah. Our, our uh, message is explore your own country. It is a beautiful place. There's so much to see. It is a continent. It's twice the size of Europe. 
you you know you can you can see so many places you could fly for a couple of hours and, and it feel like you're on the other side of the world but you're actually in darwin or or wa or something like that so i think uh, there's plenty to see and do here and i think COVID has probably made people realize that they've been missing out on some of the best adventures and tours in their own country yeah you know that that was interesting to me when um when we were sort of in lockdown here where I live and um you know I I visit our local nature reserve often um and then all of a sudden you know in lockdown uh there were all these other people there who'd never been there (laughs) and I was like oh wow where have you guys been (laughs) I mean clearly it's of interest it's you know they're, they're interested enough to 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 use to be in nature um i don't know whether it was just that people had more time or they just craved being in nature more or you know they just needed to get out i, I don't know but it really probably all of the above. yeah probably and brent no i know this is probably a really difficult question and you've already told us a couple of your favorite walks but could you give us one of your favorite easy walks in australia one of your favorite intermediate and one of your favorite really you know, more challenging walks in within Australia. Okay, um, an easy walk in Australia. Well, I really like the walks in Royal, Royal National Park. That's Austra- Australia's first national park and the world's second national park. It's about an hour from here and this beautiful coastal w- walking. There's a walk called the Coast Track. So sorry, an hour from here is... Oh, sorry, an hour from... south of Sydney. Yep, south of Sydney, yep. Royal National Park is about yep. an hour south of Sydney. Uh, there's a walk called the Coast Track. It's a three, a 30 kilometer walk, which is split in the middle by um, some some uh, campgrounds where you can where you can stay. But you could just do, walk a part of it. So you could drive to a town called Bundina, which is the only town within the park, and you could walk for five or ten kilometers and come back. So that's that's an easy easy walk. The national parks have done a great job with the paths. They've got these beautiful sandstone steps when you need to go up and down the, the cliff line there. And, and that really showcases uh, the coastal beauty we have in New South Wales. So that's an easy walk, a medium-sized walk. Well, I have did the Overland Track, which is in Tasmania, and it's probably Australia's most famous walk. It takes about five days. So it might be a bit more than intermediate, but it, the walking is easy. The views are unbelievable. You stay in huts as you go along. Uh, I did that on my own about 15 years ago, and I just met people all the time i wasn't i wasn't really on my own there were lots of people doing it it wasn't physically demanding but it, it was just really really fantastic um the mo- as for challenging walks were well, some of the bigger walks the australian walks australian alpine walking trail starts in victoria and ends in kosciuszko national park mm-hmm. that's quite a long walk and you would have to be pretty self-sufficient on that walk. The AA, I think it's called the AAWT. It's about 600 kilometers long. So it's quite, it is a long walk, but it's another one where you can just do sections. A lot of people are willing to, may only do a, a section of it and there'll be, it may, it may take them a couple of years to, to do the whole thing. So yeah. the yeah. Australian Alps walking track is probably quite challenging. You can do it in sections if you don't want to do the whole thing. But you get the beautiful, the high country, the alpine wilderness, and then we get into all our high peaks in Kosciuszko National Park and that part of New South Wales. So probably probably that would be sort of the, the, the top end of challenging. Yeah, 
Great. Thank you so much, Brent. This has been a great conversation. I think there are a lot of people who will be listening to this thinking, oh, either, oh, I want to give this a go, or oh, I might just try something a bit different, a bit more challenging or wh whatever. But I, I, I really appreciate you giving us all of this information and also your personal experience. Thank you. Thanks, Sally. I've really enjoyed it. And I do hope it encourages people to get out there and explore the outdoors because it's all, it's all there for us. And yeah. like I said, at, at any level, you don't need to be carrying a big pack and be super brave and, and have need all this knowledge when you can just get out there with, even with a pair of runners and just go for a beautiful bushwalk in your nearest national park and sort of take it from there. Yeah. And it's one of those things you can do without spending money. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to spend money, you can do lots of other things. That's right. Well. <laughs> yep. You've got the whole spectrum there. So, so Brent, can you just remind us what your website is? And, um, you know, if people want to be in touch via, I think it's Facebook and Instagram you do. Yep. So the magazine's called Great Walks. Our yep. website is greatwalks.com.au. The Facebook is Great Walks Mag. If you Google Great Walks, you, you should find us up the top. So that's a bi-monthly magazine. So we do uh, seven issues all up. We have an annual as well. And... Um, and so we have a good uh, online community as well as uh, a good number of subscribers. So our magazine, almost half our sales are subscriber based, mm -hmm. which means that we've got a dedicated people group of people that just want love getting the magazine and the post. And most magazines are skewered one way or another, male or female. We're pretty 50-50, which, uh, which is another interesting aspect that women um, are into bushwalking as much as men. And, and want to do the guided walks and want to do the wilderness experiences. I do a lot of guided walks and often I'll be the only guy there. Mm. So it'll be mums and daughters doing walks or girlfriends who decide not to go to Byron Bay for their weekend. They'll go for a, a wilderness walk that ends at a nice, you know, nice accommodation as well. So there's a sort of balance between getting out there and also having a few creature comforts. Yep. And, um, and I imagine that the, the age demographic is very, very spread as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So we've got, you've got your families with your kids. I see a lot of grandparents taking their kids, uh, so, sorry, taking their grandkids on trips, which yeah. I think is awesome. I see a lot of that. Yeah. And, and it's almost like it skipped a generation. So that's just, I think, quality time for the grandparents to, uh, to have with their kids, you know, and yeah. I'm sure they're like quite happy to get the kids off the iPads and yeah. get, get them in the wilderness. And then, yes, there's, there's definitely an older, an older crowd. Um, and like I said, a nice male-female mix as well yeah. in, in a lot of the walks I do. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much, Brent. Thanks. It's been a great time. Thanks, Sally. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in and being a part of our great community. And we'd love it if you were to give us a review or a comment. So if you have a moment now, you can do that on the app where you're listening to this podcast. And also, you can connect with us on social media. That's Instagram and Facebook at I am Sally Wilson. Uh, and that way you can meet our upcoming guests and have the opportunity to post your questions for them. And you can also share this episode with people you think would be particularly interested in it. Um, so I'd really encourage you to, to do that. You know, the more of us who can get out into nature, I think the better for our whole world. I think it has a massive ripple effect. So thanks again to Brent and listeners. Thank you for joining us and I'll look forward to meeting with you over the waves next time.